0: Welcome to another episode of the Evolution Exchange Nordics Podcast. I'm joined today by three incredible gentlemen who will be talking all things related to Unleashing Genius, how to cultivate innovation and creativity in tech teams. Now, this is a really interesting topic and we've got some really good experienced panellists so I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves before we delve a little bit deeper into the questions that we've pre-decided and a little bit deeper into the the thoughts and the advice from from these leaders. So for the introductions, um, panelists, I would just say give us a brief overview of yourself, what you do, who you are, what you're passionate about, so the listeners can kind of understand who it is we're speaking to today. And we'll start with Thomas.
1: Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Thomas Falibu. Uh I'm an engineering manager and senior developer at Bookio. Uh We do um, bookkeeping software for really small companies. I've been there now for three and a half years. And before then, I've been a developer for more or less 15 years, especially. Um, and things I'm passionate about is growing people, like empowering them to grow, and also improvise theater and uh, playing and creating board games. So that's me in a nutshell, I guess. Oh,
0: thank you. Yeah, definitely yeah. a unique passion, but I imagine a fun one as well, creating the games.
1: <laughs> yeah, fun and uh, inspiring, but also frustrating at times.
0: <laughs> yes, I, I bet. Uh, brilliant. Thank you for that, Thomas. And Johan, will come over to you now.
2: Uh, thank you. Uh, my name is uh, Johan Olazon. I'm an engineering manager and a product owner mm-hmm. at Winita. Uh, uh, which I've been that for a couple of years. And prior to that, I have somewhere around 13, 14 years of uh, developer experience, mostly in uh, smaller product companies uh, here in the Gothenburg region. Um, I'm also, like Thomas, passionate about growing, uh, seeing other people grow, uh, really um, uh, something I hold here. And the board games is interesting as well i have not created any board game that sounds like a real challenge uh, <laughs> but i uh, enjoy playing
0: oh brilliant thank you and, and yeah i think the the passions align in there shows that we're in for a really good conversation with this topic so thank you and last but not least paul will come over to you
3: sure super sophie um this is my second time round so i'm really excited to be back um so if you don't remember my name is paul Leslie. um i'm the software development manager here. Gothenburg in Sweden and software and technology has enabled me to really travel the world. So I started off life, um, I worked for about 10 years in, in Scotland as a, as a software engineer, um, moved to the Gulf state of Qatar, um, where I was more of a tech lead. Um, and from there, I moved to um, New Zealand, um, where I led a team of software engineers as, as their manager. Um, during the last year, I moved here to Sweden and uh, which is why I find myself in Gothenburg. Um, and I'll be moving on from this opportunity in, in the near future um, back to the UK. So um I guess you asked about passions. my passions very much align with, with Thomas and you are um, building teams and seeing them succeed is, is really what, what gives me feel. So um obviously I'm a in, in a creative and innovative context, which is is why, I'm really excited for this conversation, so thank
0: you. Oh, thanks, Paul, and Noel. Definitely, uh, some good experience, good travelled experience there. So I imagine a lot to bring to the conversation, and um, I think all three participants today have definitely got um, differences in terms of the way you've done things, what your take on the topic of how to go to cultivate innovative and creativity in tech teams.
3: Hi, everyone. If you would like to speak on the future podcast, if you are interested in hiring awesome tech, data, product or gaming freelancers for your business, or if you are looking for an exciting new organisation to work with, please get in
0: touch. Thank you so much for listening and I really hope to hear from you soon. Please enjoy the rest of the podcast. So I think we should just get straight into it in terms of um, discussing this topic. So I will kind of work around the room and ask each of you the question that we pre-decided before this recording. Um, Let us know a bit more context on your reasons behind it and each of you will have the kind of opportunity to discuss it more, give your take on the situation. Um, Feel free for anyone listening, if you do have any kind of feedback, I always say at the beginning of the podcast, please feel free to reach out. We hope you enjoy this conversation and you take at least something away from it. So let's start with your question, Paul, which was, what are the practical initiatives technology leaders can take to actually foster a culture of innovation and creativity?
3: Definitely. I think that was a great lead, uh, Sophie. Um, What really attracted me to this topic was, I guess, the practical nature of of the question or or the topic. And I think there was a a question kind of implied in in the uh, the subject. Um, So I really wanted to get down to the nuts and bolts of the, uh, of the topic, and really want to hear from Thomas and Yuan. What, what they thought were the, um, the practical elements or practical ingredients that, that make up an innovative and creative team. So I'm really interested to hear from the group what, what you think, um, constitutes a innovative and creative team. Does anyone want to, uh, put the hand up to, to kick us off? I
1: can start off. Um, so I think, uh, what makes like what makes makes or breaks any kind of creative creativity in a team is the feeling that you're allowed to fail that your mistakes are allowed and encouraged and you're like the the idea is that you try out new things and the idea behind trying out new things is that most of the time they won't work and if you don't have that culture then you also don't have anyone daring to do that or very few some people will dare to do it anyway because they're just they're devils. They're the same kind of people who would jump an R O V or a motorbike. <laughs> but <laughs> but in order for the rest of us to dare to try things, we need to see that it's allowed.
3: So I guess Thomas, um, in your experience, how where where does the rubber hit the road? Right. So I think you're absolutely spot on. Right. Having that culture where you're allowed to fail is is important, but that takes time and effort to build. Um, yep. And curious to hear about your experience how that um how that works in real life
1: no and it definitely takes time and it's a cultural thing that needs to go through not only one team it needs to go through all your teams and also more importantly probably leadership levels um because if leaders don't dare to show that they have failed and tried things that they weren't sure would work then no one below them will feel like it's actually okay everyone says it's okay but but is it really? Because no one above shows it seems to be showing it, right? Yeah. So uh, I think what you can do and what we have done in internally is like actually sharing those stories of when you have done something really stupid or something, that tried something daring, uh, and it, it led to a failure, and you can talk about it afterwards and what learnings you've taken from it as a part of of like retelling stories and like we're having more senior people do that to the more junior and so on. Um, I feel that's more curious.
3: Yeah, I'm curious. Thomas, do you have any um, rituals that allow you to do that in a more structured way?
1: We have tried some, but none have really stuck. Um, So I find that's a tricky one because it's what I've run into before with that is that they either it it becomes something that's not taken seriously enough. Mm. Uh, So it's like you share something for the sake of sharing just something rather than something that actually worth sharing. or it's um, it's on the very like on the border of becoming uh, um, like a shame, uh, like a pillar of shame, or like like shaming instead. So it, it's uh, really important to keep keep the distinction between uh, taking risks and what the outcomes are, and the people taking the risks and what they're out, like and what the outcomes are. Like separating the outcomes and the risk taking from the people. I think okay, so. One thing I've tried, if if you don't mind. Mean- yeah, go. But then,
3: um, have you heard of the concept of an uh, uh, action review? This comes from a kind of military context. Um, so rather than you know just kind of put your head down, wait, wait, let's see a mishap happen. I don't want to say it as a mistake. I think the ne- you, know, you have to kind of separate the negative connotations yeah, yeah. from the event. Um, but when a misstep does happen, I think it's as good to acknowledge it happened and spend a little bit of time to kind of just dig into why did that happen and what were the, you know what were the, the events that surrounded um that that particular event happening um hmm. and to try and build a culture where it's free to open up about problems and also free to seek solutions um i think that works really well um it takes time right so initially people are kind of hesitant um to put their hand up and say yep yeah, you know maybe there's some politics involved um this happened because of x and y um but i think once it becomes established then it just becomes Kind of almost routine. It's a bit like doing a retrospective, but more targeted towards a particular event. Well, uh, Joanne.
2: yes, Yeah, I was curious about that uh, um, type of meeting. Like, who would join that meeting? Is it the the smallest audience possible, or do you invite the wider?
3: I think some. It's, it's a good question. I think the most relevant people who can have that conversation is the answer, right? So it wouldn't necessarily be a closed meeting. It's not closed. Um, You know, you're not having that meeting behind closed doors, um, but at the same time, you can't invite the whole organization. Um, So I think a a loose definition would be people who can add value to that conversation, right? Um, I'm very keen not to have meetings for the sake of having meetings um, and for them to be valuable, um, which usually means that I expect people to contribute if if they plan to come to the meeting. Um, So I think that's a good criteria for for who should join that meeting.
2: Uh, Yeah, cool. I... uh... But on the, on the pra- practical side, um, like the innovation and creativity, I find that it a, a pillar for that is really deeply understanding the problem and the problems that your users are having or your customers, if that's two different things, can be. Um, and a, a practical hands-on thing can be to have your uh, engineers or your tech team Uh, doing support on a regular cadence, not necessarily answering the phone, maybe email support or something like that, uh, just to get them closer. They can become a little distant to the users and only head information through layers of people. uh, Getting them closer will uh, probably allow them to feel a little bit more ownership and uh, uh, also deeper understanding, which will help them in there when they think of what you could do to solve this problem uh, so that's kind of a, a quite handsome thing you could try out um, I don't know if anyone uh, have tested this I know that I've been in, in companies where everyone did time in in support uh, once a year uh, which was a very part of their uh, that company's culture
1: yeah. um, I had uh, team members uh, like we've made it part of their development plan uh, as a part of, of- Making domain uh, like better, better known domain and better know, get that cooperation with support. Uh, but that's been on individuals and not uh, like everyone does it. Um, uh, we've also had the fortunate uh, circumstance of having uh, someone move from support to being a developer, which brings a very interesting perspective to uh, the whole team. Yeah, uh, yeah, inherent very strong user focus is the summary, right?
3: Yep. I don't think we've had the situation where a developer, uh, so where, where someone has come from support being a developer but I think a really good path is coming from support into perhaps testing or some level of product ownership because they have that inherent knowledge of how the product works. Um, I just want to kind of go back to one point that Thomas made maybe just add an extra layer on top. Um, I think one of the really important things when it comes to innovation and creativity is um, really having the time. Right? I think that's one of the the biggest tensions that we have in development is where you spend your time do you focus on the product and, and developing you know something that goes to market how much time would you spend on say reducing your technical debt your maintenance burden um and investing in in the in the um in the product or the platform should i say um so one of the things that i think we've done really well at navico is to make it part of making a vision Sorry, make innovation part of the drumbeat of the organization. right? So on a regular cadence, um, let's say if we work on a quarterly basis um, of six sprints, then the final sprint would be guaranteed time for innovation. Um, I think just having that regular cadence where you do have the time and space to be able to invest in your uh, platform is, is really important. Having that support from senior leadership as well, I think is is vitally important. Um, I don't know if we already changed gears, but I don't know if that's something um, that you're willing to maybe provide a perspective on. It sounds uh, a bit
2: similar, although maybe in a more condensed way that to uh, um, the hackathons or when you have Fridays or Friday afternoons for, for innovation, but uh, doing it in a more condensed way. If you're doing it over sprint, uh, when the whole sprint is dedicated, uh, so that sounds very interesting, uh, I would say does that run over the whole company or the tech department? Yeah, so that's
3: across all of and D. Um, so everyone in the organization knows, um, you know, this is Sprint Six. The whole organization is working on innovation. Um, mm-hmm. We tend to fold in two hackathons a year into that time as well, um, which are obviously you know maybe two D focused um, periods of innovation. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, but I think. You do. I think developers appreciate having a little bit of a, a mental break from, you know, the kind of day job. Um, I worked, I guess, in our, our previous organization where we had more of a kind of feature factory kind of outlook, right? Where the most the most important thing was to pump out features, right. um, and you knew back to back that features were scheduled. Um, so just being able to have, have a little bit of a mental break and to be able to kind of breathe your life into your development is. I think it's really important
1: yeah yeah we tried out what we called cooldown sprints uh before uh where, where that was not necessary on a regular cadence or it's not the same cadence for all teams it was more on uh yes now this team needs a cooldown sprint and a cooldown sprint could be about picking up everything anything that they would have wanted to do, be doing for quite some time or uh just exploring new things or yeah any of that um we re- Quite recently, or like uh, I guess it's half a year or so be- ago, we changed uh, modes f- across company to have what you mentioned—you want in like half a an- half a day a week, which is uh, for personal development and exploration and experiments. Uh, and we've been running that now for yeah about six months or so, and it seems to be going okay. Uh, it's, it's always hard to judge. People seem to be happy with it, but uh, is it better or worse than the other way of doing it? <laughs> no,
3: no. Yeah, i think regardless of how you actually implement it um i think it's really important to be able to carve out that time right yeah. and and have the support from senior leadership that yes this is important um because the alternative um can lead you to potentially quite a dark place and that uh, practicality i think is
2: it's good to have it the same time for everyone so you don't have it like this team is doing it now but they are interrupted by other teams who are dependent on them so Everyone does it at the same time, so everyone knows what's going on.
3: Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Everyone's in sync. Um, yeah. And and people can reach out across teams as well, right? So if, if you know what another team is doing or what another team is, is prioritizing, then in our global organization, there's really nothing stopping you reaching out and saying, hey, do you want some support for that? What, how, can we, how can we collaborate? I think that's really important.
0: Oh, brilliant. Well, no, I think that's uh, a good... A really good first question to be honest there were some really good ideas in there um I think I do a number of podcasts with with leaders like yourselves and I think the idea of yes we want to create these cultures and we want obviously to have a lot of innovation and creativity it can just be a lot of words so I think to to highlight some of the actual practical stuff 100% relevant and I think really really useful to most organisations. I don't think it's kind of like a specific as well. So yeah, thank you all for your inputs on that one. Really good question, Paul.
3: Thanks. It was good. Good chat.
0: Yeah, really nice. So Thomas, we'll come to you for your question. Um, Slightly different, but again, something that you hear quite a lot. And I imagine managers, leaders have this kind of deliberation in the head a lot of how do you handle the inherent conflict in ship fast and learn versus feeling proud of what you deliver tell us more.
1: yeah i mean from my perspective on this it's more on the individual developer developer level and especially i find it in more junior developers um that you have you, you have people coming in from like they come from school or they come from other places where they're being judged on this particular thing that they built and they're supposed to deliver this to to the to the top grade right um and he, here so then that feeds into this in work situation where they don't want to release on, anything unless they feel like it's properly done. Um, When by done, it means that it's polished to pixel perfection, it's capable of dealing with every hypothetical use case, and like before then we don't release anything. Um, And I mean, yeah, I guess there's some point to it. But what the problem with that is that you don't really know if you made the right thing until you've tested it on your users. So in reality, it doesn't quite work if you actually want to deliver value over time. And that i found to be a a challenge to to try and get across and get like get twist that mindset around a bit um and what i've tried and what i'm getting some at least moderate success with is to try and clarify it to uh feeling proud over the our delivery over time more than our delivery this week uh so changing the time perspective a bit uh, because what it really is about is in order to deliver good value over time we need to test what is good value uh, and especially what is good value for invested time. And the only way to do that is actually with the help of our users. So we need to get things out, test it with our users and figure out if this is the thing what they want or adjust it so it's more to what they want. And yeah, as I said, moderate success, it's not super easy to, to explain and not super easy to sell internally or to an individual when they have an inherent sense of, of pride in delivering really good level on, I don't know, uh, exams or uh, thesis or assignments. So any thoughts or ideas or, or <laughs> ways to, to cope with this would be very appreciated. Oh, uh, that's a tough
2: one, uh, I can imagine. Um, I guess uh, that you really need to visualize the benefits. When they see with their own eyes the benefit of shipping uh, shipping faster learning. Uh, it will probably dawn on them, but that takes time, of course, and there's going to be friction until you get there. Um, I guess this could also happen if you have uh, developers from, uh, say, background in medical technology or something where you can't really yeah. ship fast and learn. <laughs>
1: yeah. <laughs>
2: yeah, exactly. Not a viable strategy there. Um, yeah, changing mindsets hard. Uh, I, the, I've had the best success with. I mean, they need to come to the understanding. You can't just tell them that why this is better. You, you can do that, but they need to uh, really grasp it themselves. And
1: yeah,
2: visualizing it, uh, really highlighting and pointing out that by shipping this before it was completed, so to speak, um, we learned all of this, which we wouldn't have done anywhere uh, in. Uh, if we wouldn't have shipped it so so soon. Um, It's just, you know, hands-on pointing these things out, highlighting them, uh, also uh, encouraging them and uh, raising them when doing something that they feel might go, again, a little bit against their natural uh, instinct uh, to just positively
3: reinforce
2: uh, that behavior.
3: Yeah, I think that's a really great question and a really great um, observation of the kind of tension between perhaps doing a job and doing it really well, but also delivering, right? So there is a fundamental tipping point there where I guess it's maybe an 80-20 rule, right, where you're going to start getting diminishing returns if you keep working on the thing. Yeah. Um, I guess in my experience, I think my teams have always been quite proud of, of shipping what they've delivered um, and actually pretty good at scoping down, let, let's see, a big feature into something that is then where you can't provide incremental value, um, I think the challenge we've had is that I think you alluded to this early earlier on. We don't really necessarily have a direct line to our customer mm. um, and can't necessarily get that immediate feedback. Um, so we can kind of use our our product owners as as a proxy for for the customer. Um, I think the I think you can feel really good about shipping, right? I think that's that's at least how I approach this problem. It, it feels good to be able to say I ship the. Fi- um, even if necessarily may not be hundred percent, um, you know that maybe if you get the, the core of the eighty percent, then in a future iteration you can um, you can claim it. I think another practical thing
2: could be could work is to actually schedule a, a tweaking period. So you are you are saying that what we ship now is not done, so they don't yeah. need to feel that they have failed or not built it to perfection yet because we have the tweaking period where we will learn things and tweak based on those learnings so that you kind of set the expectations that we expect it not to be completed because we have this period afterwards to tweak it. Um, it's also something that I see in a lot of a lot of companies that you kind of ship it and move on to the next thing. Uh, yeah, today. that doesn't really work if it's not done. <laughs> yeah, uh, so, it could help with uh, that uh, as well. Yeah.
3: I think that's a, a good point relative to innovation as well, right? Is, um making sure that it, it does become an evolution, but also that you empower your teams to be able to have that conversation, right? So, the teams are saying, you know, actually, we think this is not done. Um, we want to keep working on this. We think this is important. And you support your team in that decision that they are making the right call. Um, then I think that can only help foster that culture of innovation.
1: Yeah, I mean, I I think the key that that you both alluded to is that getting that first version out doesn't equal we're moving on, right? Uh, and if, if you manage to actually instill the belief in everyone and actually deliver on that, uh, then people will actually believe it over time, and then they'll be less uh, less scared of, of letting something out in the world before they feel it's 100% done because that's not the intent then
3: i've got a really good example here right Do you remember the first iphone
1: remember do
3: you remember the first iphone i think 2008 i think it was didn't have a front-facing camera right yeah can you can imagine putting you know for the last 10 years how many selfies have we <laughs> have we all created Right. but the first iphone didn't have that what you might consider a core feature right didn't necessarily mean that that was the end of the road um but that's what we shipped at that time um i think that's a a good little example.
0: Yeah, I think that's a really good example. Um, it, it, Hard to believe, <laughs> you know. <laughs> giving <laughs> up on his yeah. iPhone, taking pictures, it's crazy, isn't it? <laughs>
3: they had a new camera, of course, but not, not from the pacing
0: camera. Yeah, yeah. But anything else, anything else from anyone to, to add on that kind of balance between the two? Any final comments before we kind of move on to the next question?
3: Yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really good question. I think very multi-layered, I guess what I, I was thinking when, when you were talking, Thomas, was the kind of engineer who perhaps needs a little bit of persuasion that um, maybe they need, they're need done and they need to um, ship and, and move on. Um, certainly worked with a few individuals who, maybe even <laughs> yeah. myself, right? Yeah, I've been there for so sure. But, <laughs> but if only we could make this little tweak to the told and, and it would be better, right? Um, I'm sure we've all felt that at some point in time.
1: Yeah. But I think it also, like there's also, as you mentioned, Yuan, there's a very big difference depending on what kind of product you're working. With, right. How easy is it to push iterative updates? How how horrible is it if something goes wrong? So, of course, um, I mean, even internally at our uh, at our company, we have different things that have different uh, level of um, criticality. Uh, so they need to be more done or less done than other things within the same product because you, this thing can't break. right? Uh, it's it's not very popular if our salary function breaks when it's time to, for salaries of the month uh, or our payment functions. So there, of course, it's more uh, making sure that uh, everything that needs to work is working. And,
3: and also where the where, and also how mature the product is as well, right? So yeah, there's, there's there's a big difference between this is you know this product is new to market and we've got to ship this because we've got business pressures to do this versus you know this. this established products and we're bringing up perhaps a, a feature to the market that isn't fully fully fledged or uh, fully developed so there's, there's certainly i think uh, a consideration for for with how mature the product yeah
0: nice thank you all for for kind of chipping in on that one um you know i think we've already touched on a couple of really really interesting things and and a, a quite a wide a wide range as well within those two questions um and we're got the final question now which is is yours joanne which is what are your observations or thoughts on how remote work impacts creativity and innovation now i think this is quite an interesting one given that most people will have some element of remote working um on the scale of remote fully remote to fully in the office maybe a bit hybrid so yeah interesting question tell us a bit more where this kind of came from and what are your thoughts
2: uh well i Basically, they, after the pandemic, I think we've seen uh, uh, the full range of companies being staying remote uh, to 100% in office and everything in between there. Uh, and uh, just curious to hear what what uh, your observations uh, are while working remote, uh, but also after uh, and the hybrid uh, working from home for a while and uh, and how that impacts. Creativity,
3: innovation, positively or negatively? Great question, Yon. Do you mind me jumping in? Um, my thoughts on this may be a little bit old school. Um, it's certainly like perhaps more in the the traditional camp of, of working from the office. Um, interesting reflecting on this, this question, I pulled up the Agile Manifesto. And in the Agile Manifesto it says, the most efficient and effective method of conveying information to and within a development team is face-to-face communication. I um, find it interesting that that happened to be in the manifesto. Um, I'm curious if that is still relevant um, maybe you know many years on from, from when it was written. Um, I've always tried to prioritise a blend, right? So even though I may have my view of what is most efficient, maybe relative to the manifesto, um, I think giving a level of or promoting flexibility within the team is really important. Um, so I, I don't think it's a good idea to be on either end of the extreme. Um, so
1: yeah, um, curious to hear what what you think, Carlos. Yeah, yeah, sure. I can jump in. I I have like one clear pro and one clear con that I'll start from, and we'll see where that leads. Um, I'll start with the pro because positive things are more fun. Um, I find that like one big upside of of more remote work or more uh, flexible uh, kind of working setups is that there's a lower threshold to take a break and go for a walk or do something else for a bit and let the current challenge you have sit in the back of your head for a while and when you come back it's solved um which is it's still doable in office but it might be a higher threshold harder to do so i, I think that's a, a clear upside of things uh of being a, in more hybrid or more remote um moving over to what i don't find works as well is i think what What's missing in a full, a full remote or mostly hybrid setup is the spontaneous cross-team or cross-function talks, uh, whereas you r- run across each other by the coffee machine or uh, by the fridge or I don't know, uh, and you st- like someone brings up, ah, oh, I'm working on this thing, it's so annoying, or or I had this idea about this thing by the way for your team, and that just gets handed over, you talk about it for five minutes, and and that might lead to something bigger or something new and something more truly creative whereas it's, it's those quite it's quite easy to get stuck in these iterative, iterative improvements when you're just like here's your team working together
3: it's those spontaneous water cooler conversations that are hard to replicate in a remote environment
1: I think. Um, yeah I've tried <laughs> I, just, I, I, I would find anything that works so far
3: yeah, I mean, my experience during COVID was that I think you have to be very intentional about trying to recreate those experiences. Um, so I'm sure that's very similar to many different organizations. One of the things that we did at the peak of, of the pandemic was that um, we built in time into everyone's schedule to say here, year. You know, there is time in your diary for everyone to get together without really having, you know, Without the need or the pressure to have a work conversation, um, this is time for us just to get together and and make sure that we we stay connected. Right? No real set agenda, um, but people can bring things to the table and, and discuss maybe some challenges that they're facing or something cool. And, uh, try, again, trying to replicate those
1: um, yeah. serendipitous conversations that you have at the water cooler. Yeah, yeah with uh, virtual fecas then. And, and yeah, like yeah. So so, but it like it works for that group that is in that in those virtual figures. But it's hard to make one that uh, is anyone in the company, and they uh, end up being uh, people who normally don't talk so much.
3: Yeah, yeah. It can also be quite hard sometimes to maintain that conversation. Um, Quite, quite challenging conversations sometimes, just trying to come up with something to something to say. Um, I think tooling's improved a lot over time. I'm not sure what what tools you use. I think Miro is a really good uh, virtual whiteboard tool. Really great for, I mean, we're in a global organization, so being able to work on problems across teams asynchronously is absolutely a challenge that we have. Um, I think Miro helps with that a lot. in my experience, I don't think there's anything that beats standing at a whiteboard with someone. I think there's some real human magic there. I'm not sure that experience is replicated even with some really good tool. Like,
1: I agree with you. There's some magic there, but there's also some annoying parts where you realize we don't really have space. Uh, like, oh, I did. We need this thing in between here. Uh, that That's when you miss your digital tooling, I find.
3: Yeah, or if you work in an office that doesn't have any any walls, as as I did in New Zealand, then it's all that. And <laughs> yeah, where to, I took this whiteboard. <laughs> uh you paid on the glass.
1: Yeah. yeah
2: my my observations are very similar uh, to yours I would say. Uh I found that for uh, uh, the team they collaborate quite well remote anyway or hybrid or or whatever uh distributed uh the productivity does not take a hit but this kind of uh, creative conversations that you might have on with a with whiteboard are it's tougher to communicate and get all the nuances in there uh, and really convey your message when you do meet remote as uh, opposed to do meet face-to-face uh, probably so uh, i agree that uh, the, the tooling is a lot better uh, and for our types of teams i don't think this is a problem but th- there's definitely like digital immaturity uh, in other types of Uh, organizations or teams that could be a big issue uh, when trying to work in uh, Miro or YAMP or some collaborative tool like that. It takes a while to get used to uh, just how to organize
3: stuff. Yeah, one problem that we're really keen to solve is that nature of asynchronous work, right? So there is no time zone where all our teams can get together in one room or certainly not a, a time zone that is comfortable for everyone. Um, so we've spent quite a lot of time thinking about what tools could we invest in, what processes could we kind of um, highlight that could help us work more efficiently, more in a synchronous fashion. Um, I know some organisations have been built fully remote from the start. Um, that's something that really interesting. I'd really love to be a fly on the wall in one of these organisations to figure out how, how they get things done. Uh, I think it's a really good problem. Yeah,
1: I guess a lot of the meetings and especially the ones that are more crazy, you can break down them down into like shorter segments. Uh, Like if you have an individual brainstorming segment, small group brainstorming segment and like moving in that direction. And uh, I guess if you want to do that asynchronously, you could do those like small sessions asynchronously and sync up the data in between. So basically your two hour or three hour, four hour, four hour meeting becomes a set of maybe ten asynchronous short sessions uh, where everyone does their stuff and puts it in the common tooling. I haven't tried that, but I, I mean it should it should work in a, in a good way, I think.
3: Yeah, the only problem I see with that is it does kind of has a tendency to stretch out the timeline.
1: Right. right? So, um,
3: particularly when it comes to kind of idea generize, uh, generation and kind of pushing forward with ideas, right? Mm-hmm. I think mean, mm-hmm. you would want that to be relatively fast, um, so that the best ideas kind of filter up the
1: top yeah yeah, yeah. some how, how 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 kind of schedule situation you have to give it get everyone into your normal fashion but i mean that could also be two weeks out before you have a slot yeah yeah sorry one No, i was just gonna say on the other end uh, finding 10 slots in your own calendar can be challenging sometimes <laughs> <laughs> yeah but if it's like 15 minutes a time and you and you can do them whenever you choose that is doable right if it has to be with someone else's calendar, then you're in trouble.
3: So I'm a little bit curious how this relates to your experience in your organization. Why this question?
2: Uh, now, we have always had uh, a mix of people here in Gothenburg and uh, also remote. Uh, so we... We were kind of hybrid even before the pandemic, uh, so nothing has really changed uh, that much, uh, except that obviously during the pandemic everyone was remote. Now there's uh, uh, we'd like people to be, to be three, three, times a day, uh, three times a day, three times three times a week in the uh, in the office, uh, and innovation and creativity is one of the major factors behind that because we see that. Uh, it improves, uh, basically, when people meet, when you can get together. And especially this cross-department collaboration uh, is much easier in the office than on Slack or Teams or or whatever. It just doesn't happen when you sit at home uh, in the same way. So that's kind of where where this question came from. I wanted to hear more about your your thoughts and what you have
0: observed. Nice. No, I think there's definitely... um sounds like a lot of different scenarios a lot of pros a lot of cons on each on each end and I don't know is there ever really a, an ideal situation i suppose it could change in terms of different times of points of the project the delivery schedule things like that so no really interesting question as well um is there anything else anybody wants to ask so we have got a little bit of time um obviously we mentioned kind of the practicality of how to have a culture of innovation and creativity how do you deal with the conflict of kind of getting things out fast and learn from it or kind of feeling really proud of what you've delivered because you spent more time? And then obviously the the last question there with remote working, the impacts, how that has an effect. Is there anything else that anyone would like to add on on the overall topic of how to create a culture of innovation and creativity? No?
1: Yeah, one thing maybe. And I think that's like that culture, it goes outside the individual teams and it goes on uh making sure you find people who are who are open to that kind of culture even already when hiring i think uh is a key thing making sure you have a cultural fit in the sense that you want to be in an environment where where these things are that's part of the culture and it's, it's part of how we work um because as we talked about uh, also before it's like it's very different companies different different ways of doing things because of uh, constraints on their industry or similar. So making sure we find the right people for for, for
0: companies. Yeah, I imagine that really makes a difference because in terms of being a leader, trying to foster this culture when you've got a team that are fully on board with it is very different to if you've even got one or two people that are kind of resistant towards it as well. I can definitely see how that could be a a challenge. Yeah, Yeah, I
3: I think you're you're absolutely right, Thomas. Um, Hopefully you're all I guess Good at hiring, and then and I've established oh, practices. Um, that's certainly some. But I, I, I guess, I guess, Nicholas, how do you, maybe going back to storytelling, right? What does innovation mean for your organization? And that's really the, I guess, the story at hiring. That would be your role to be able, you know, give that, tell that story, bring that candidate on that journey with you, um, to make sure that they you have the, I guess, the, the alignment that they need to be able to make an informed decision. As to whether it's appropriate to join that organization or not. Um, innovation can mean different things to different organizations.
1: Yeah, yeah, the word "the, word, the words we are innovative"
3: is <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> not the same for every listener. Yeah, I mean, it's, it's it's not unusual to see kind of innovation as part of a company's values, right? Yeah. Okay, that's very generic. What does that mean? What, what does it mean to be innovative in this organization? Um, Hopefully, you're having that conversation now into this stage.
0: Yeah, yeah definitely. I think that sounds like something that. Could be easily missed, you know, because when you kind of think of, uh, I work with a lot of different hiring managers. um Only on freelancer roles, of course, it's slightly different, um, but I mean, still plays a part. If you've got a team with freelancers, um, and sometimes we we hear feedback of, I get what my what my role is and what I'm supposed to do, but I want to know more about the company overall. I want to know more about the culture. I want to know more about how what their values are. So I do think another great tip in terms of anybody in a hiring position definitely give us much kind of uh, information on what innovation creativity and, and culture kind of means overall
3: yeah and really sell that you know, picture right oh, this is what innovation means to us um and these are the pra- going back to the practicalities right <laughs> this is how these are the practical steps that we take to
1: foster that innovation
0: yeah, yeah and that's nice
1: if you, and if you can't give them then you probably need to sort that out for them. <laughs> <laughs> Or probably tells you something. <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah, yeah. That's the first place to look. <laughs> no, but really nice kind of full three sixty there. Um, I mean, before we end the podcast, I just definitely want to say thank you to all of our guests who have joined us to give their thoughts and share their opinions. Um, I think just listening as a listener who's listening live, um, there's been quite a lot of different things that I imagine people in similar positions, maybe in more even maybe in more senior positions than then your sales will kind of take away because it's things that affect company-wide. And it's something that I imagine anybody who's part of a a tech organization will be able to take something from. So yeah, thank you, Paul, Johan, Thomas. Really enjoyed the conversation and thank you for your input. And obviously, thank you to our listeners. Like I said at the beginning, if anybody has any feedback, any questions, feel free to reach out to me. I can pass on, on the details of Paul, Johan, Thomas, if there's any specific questions. And yeah, thank you all for listening.